Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Build Your Team Show. I am your host, Atiba, and if you're a business owner, building a team for your organization, this episode you're going to want to see. I mean, all the episodes are great, but today I have with me Bill Prater, who is an absolute master and dropped some gems today, just from the perspective of the fact that this is what he helps businesses do. And Bill's going to just blow your mind as he talks about the three lies that are causing problems in your business. And as always, Build Your Team is brought to you by Client Attraction Pros. Hey, it's time that you become the thought leader of your industry, and we're going to help you do that and make it fast, easy, and fun. Bill. Welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. And I want to start off by asking you a question. And my question for you today is this, my friend. For someone who is building a team, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you have seen people make? When we say people, I think we're talking about business owners. Although what we would talk about would probably apply to a lot more than just business owners, particularly. But I think the biggest mistake, and you've kind of touched on it a little bit in your opening remarks, and that is that I believe, I think there's three major mistakes and or myths, or let's call them popular lies that unfortunately trap people. And as a result of being trapped by these three lies, then they make mistakes. And the mm -hmm. first one revolves around, if you will, almost the notion of, and I'm referring to your cap, a lot of time people get in their head that they have to be superman or superwoman, yeah. and that's the key. And so they work very hard on developing their own expertise. And for most business owners, entrepreneurs, their expertise came from some profession or another. In other words, they were trained to be a project manager or they're really good at chemistry or mm -hmm. they're a great veterinarian, etc. Mm -hmm. Those are, if you will, let's call them professions. None of them at all absolutely none, no profession, has anything at all to do with owning a business. It's an entirely different profession. So the first one I think is believing that somehow or another, the world revolves around you, or in fact, should revolve around you. And the better you are, the more successful your business is. And actually, it's almost the opposite of that. <laughs> Say that again. It's actually almost the opposite of that. In other words, Certainly, if you want to scale your business into, let's say, eight, nine, or nine figures of revenue or more, the less you do in your business is probably the better. Best. Yes. In, including all the way to doing nothing at all. Absolutely. It's true. And that's difficult for people to understand. But it's the flips of a side of having a powerful team. The more powerful your team is, the less relevant you are, the less essential you are, the less welcome you are, actually. And so that's probably the first one. So the lie that's around that is the belief 
that you need to do everything, be the best, be the go-to guy or gal. And that's probably the biggest mistake that I see most often. And it happens twice or more than twice, but at least twice that's important. One is getting your business off the ground at all. If you insist on being the primary provider of the solution, whatever the solution is, then you can't grow because you're the limit. Right. So that's number one. The, number two is probably where most of my clients are when I first encounter them. And that is that okay. their business is stalled out. They're flatlined and they've tried uh, dozens and dozens of things, but nothing seems to move the needle. And even though they've got now at this point in time, typically they're doing maybe two, three, four, five, ten million 10 million in revenue, but they're still, even though they've got individuals around, maybe even very talented individuals, mm -hmm. they're the roadblock because of their attitude about being the best, being in charge and things like that. So that's the first real major mistake I see. We could do a whole show on just that one. Yes, we could. So I can't wait to hear the other two. There's so much that you said in there that's so very true. I'm sure you've probably read the book, E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And he talks about that in that book too, just that so many people get into business to become, because they're a practitioner. Sure. Right? They're the doer. And they did better than everybody else. And so they feel like they still have to keep doing. Yeah. You want to wear the yes on your chest. I tell people all the time, that's why I wear it on my head. I don't see this. This is for other people to see so that they realize they're the superhero. It's not about me. Right? Man, that's... Whew. Okay, so lie number one, the superhero complex. Yeah. All right. I'm ready for lie number two. That was good. So lie number two is almost every business owner is in some sort of an industry or a niche or a, a sector. So what happens with line number two, which leads to the second mistake I see most frequently, is sort of believing that if they only could figure out what the industry calls best practices or industry standards, etc., then they can really maximize their business. So let's imagine that we are talking about somebody that owns a medical clinic or a dental clinic or something like that, medical. So the first place people will tend to look is into their industry association or their niche. And they'll examine all of these metrics in standards, if you will. And standards are a trap. They're a trap, and it's another fantastic way to make your business average. And actually, the answer is in exactly what you're looking at. <laughs> so what's a standard? Well, a standard is the average that people should be able to get to. So what's the standard for being in high school? Yeah, to get a C, C plus or something like that. That's, that's the standard. Why? Because the mass majority, the giant majority hovers around that point. And you can see that in everyday life, if you just look at any sort of a bell curve, you look at a bell curve of thoroughbreds, 
the vast majority of thoroughbreds are right in the middle. They're middling animals that aren't going to be in any sort of real competition. And so the key or the solution to get out of that is frankly to ignore the standards, to not pay attention to them, to not do what everybody else does. Imagine some of the famous business owners. There are many, 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 but if you look at one that comes to mind would be, to me, would be Oprah. Now, if Oprah would have tried to comply with the standards of the broadcasting industry, she would have been mediocre, but she didn't do that at all. Her attitude was, I'm going to do things different than everybody else. And she's a great example, I think, of somebody that never let her own personal, let's call it talent, get in the way. I mean, she just showcased everybody else. And that was kind of her magic. You look at somebody like Steve Jobs, who certainly did not follow the standards of the computer industry. He ignored them completely. I mean, he was absolutely, totally an outlaw. He had a famous ad about think differently. So the first one, and there's many, many, Richard Branson's another one. They're certified idiots. When you'd say, why in the world would anybody start an airline? I mean, that's crazy. Everybody in the airline business loses money, including today. They lose money today. But yet he did that. And the list goes on. So these are people that should be emulated. They're the outliers. They're the crazy ones. They're the ones that aren't following the industry standards. They're doing things differently. And it's not just differently, it's doing things that the people that are leading your niche are doing. So even if you're in the medical industry, back to that one, there are people who own medical clinics or the derivatives of those, and they're completely shooting the lights out. They got fantastic, highly profitable businesses. They're doing something differently. Maybe they're not taking insurance, for example. I'm not saying that's the solution. I'm just saying you who own a clinic should look, all right, who is it that owns the best clinics in my state, city, neighborhood, and go emulate those people. So that's kind of number two. And so let's call that not falling victim to the lure of averages. Now, why does that lure exist? Well, <laughs> if you're selling oats, for example, there aren't very many elite thoroughbreds. <laughs> there are only a few, but there's lots of average ones. So you'd want to make sure that you marketed to the people that have these big farms, a lot of horses in them. That's where the money is. Same thing in the medical industry. The suppliers to the medical industry supply to the average clinic because there's more of them. It's easier. These people are easy to sell to because they're going to buy the latest machine, etc. So nobody's trying to hoodwink you. It's out there in the open. They even use the words like standards. But the point is your vendors find the money in the averages. If you want to be elite, you can't play that game. That's great. Number two of not falling into that standard strap, not settling for average and not even looking at what is right. average. You started to give 
one of the tips there of looking around in your industry and seeing who's outperforming everybody and trying to figure out maybe in the medical industry they're not taking insurance or maybe it's something else that they're doing. And the word that kind of popped into my mind, Bill, when right. you were saying all of that is innovate. Right? In order to not be standard, you've got to innovate. Would you agree with that? And if so, how does someone go about innovating? Well, the answer is yes and no. So the reason I'm going to give you okay. both answers is because you don't have to innovate to emulate. So if you've got somebody in your niche that is performing at a high level, very high level, let's say top one, two or 3% of your niche, you can have a super successful enterprise yourself simply by figuring out what they're doing and emulate that. Typically, and gotcha. here's the good news about this part, and then we'll go to the innovation part. The good news about that is that almost every single business owner who owns one of these super high performing companies are doing their job as a business owner very much the same as each other, regardless of the niche. In other words, the person that has a medical clinic and they're ranked number one in their state might be doing right. things exactly similarly to somebody that owns an automobile dealership network in a different state. But yet, if you look at their behaviors as business owners, not as car salesmen and not as doctors, not, not but as the owner, that job, then they're very similar. So that's the no answer. No, you don't have to innovate. You just have to emulate and pick the right people. And it doesn't have to be in your niche. It can be in somebody, right. some other industry. Now, innovation isn't necessarily invention which is an entirely different topic. So innovation really is then yes. taking things that are, if you will, practiced by everybody and then finding the barriers or the edge or the margins and getting your business to play at that level. And when we get to our third area, I'll touch a bit on, on how to do that relative vis-a-vis -vis team building. But relative to, if you will, business practices and that sort of thing, for example, I don't know how we fell into this medical industry thing, but I think it's a good illustration of most people that start a medical industry came out of being some sort of a medical practitioner. Norm, that would be the case. Yep. It's unusual for somebody that came out of economics to decide to start one. It would be unusual, not impossible, but unusual. So the key is then is to innovate things that other people do. For example, in the medical industry, you probably should have and need to have somebody fulfilling the job of a receptionist. So when somebody walks into the mm -hmm. door, he'll say, hey, welcome to our business. Uh, are you a current patient or I recognize you as a current patient? Or if you're not, we've got these forms to fill out and so forth and so on. So you've got to do that. But. It doesn't mean that you right. can't innovate in the methodology of how to get that done. For example, contacting people before they show up, giving them the capability of to fill out their paperwork before they show up to the facility and so forth and so on. Yes. That would be an example of innovation or being able for them to say, asking them a question like, 
where did you used to go for this type of practice? Then contact that company and get some of the readily available information on people, like addresses and names and birth dates and things like that. So that would be innovation. Yeah. You don't need to invent. So stage one is you don't need to innovate. You just need to emulate the best. Innovation belongs in improving upon the, the typical behavior of companies like yours. That'd be a nice place for innovation. Yes. Completely agree with you. And I see it all wrapped together. One of the, the things that we talk about here and that we have always taught for the last almost 20 years is we have to listen to outsiders because the same wind blows on every single business, every single company. We all have the same problems. Getting back to the point that you were mm -hmm. making there, right? We all have the same problems. And if I'm facing a problem of my patients don't want to fill out forms. Well, guess what? The auto dealership down the street, they're facing the same thing when people come in with their cars and don't want to fill out forms, but they found a solution for it. Why can't we use their solution? Very true. Right. And that is the mix of both things of what you just said. The mix of both. Right. right? I like that all so, winds blow on us at the same rate. Yeah, absolutely. But we could stand behind a little wall protect ourselves you could but the wind is still, still there. there and that's the beauty if you realize but if i stand behind this wall then i'm protected and i learned that from somebody else then great then absolutely wonderful and it is just that ability to see bigger and realize that these problems exist everywhere and somebody else has solved it somebody else has solved it so that's number one and number two. Yeah. What's number three, man? I'm already blown away by that. So what's number three, I think is at the heart of what our topic is. And that's all about team. And I think what happens to people and it's not bad, it's just not optimal. And that is the belief that if only I can hire superstar employees then everything will be golden. If only I can hire superstar employees, everything will be golden. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. What's true is a high performance team collects, beats a collection of all-stars every time. Every, every time. time. You and I are old enough to know that the United States didn't used to be so successful in Olympic basketball. They used to look like yes. fools. They'd bring in all these all-stars, they'd go to the Olympics, then they'd get trounced by Greece because Greece yeah. had a team. <laughs> the U.S. women's basketball team, Olympic team level, did solve that. They were able to convert to a team quickly. So the lesson is that there's an inherent problem with high-performing all-star type people, and that is ego. And their ego, their personal ego, or their need for their greediness, their need for love and kisses is very high. And they've got to be in the spotlight all the time. And they feel like being in the spotlight at the detriment of the rest of their team is absolutely okay. And that's not okay for you as a business owner. People that perform at that level, I have a term for them, which I'll tell you in a few seconds, but by that level, I mean somebody that performs at a high level, 
does their job, but screws up everybody else. That is an onboard terrorist, I call them. Terrorists mm. are very, very talented. They are very skillful. Their morals and things are not necessarily in line with ours or not in line with ours for sure. And that's similar, unfortunately, to some high-powered people. And I think a great illustration of that, well, it's easy to have her. One of my favorite all-time track athletes is Allison Felix, who okay. I remember in, in an Olympic game one time, she was running first and they failed in the handoff in their 400 meter relay. Remember that? And the mm -hmm. batons bouncing on the ground, so forth and so on. Yep. So there she is, the fastest woman on the planet by far, and she loses the race. Why? Because of the failed handoff. Now, the failure ended up being somebody bumped them, bumped into them. It, to your point, <laughs> the wind blows the same on everybody. Problems do happen. Yep. Things do not go necessarily according to plan. But that's really how businesses operate. Businesses are like relays. There's somebody that carries, that runs leg one and somebody runs leg two and somebody runs leg three, etc. In other words, the receptionist who does that job properly means that that's when important. the nurse sees the patient, it's documented well enough for the nurse to be able to get right to the heart of the yeah. matter of why this person's there. On the other hand, if the receptionist doesn't do their job, the nurse shows up and she says, oh, hi, Sarah, why are you here? Oh, it's not Sarah, my name's Alice. See, that would be looking bad for the nurse that walked in calling the person the wrong name, but it wasn't yeah. her at all. It was the previous person. So in business, that's the sales person who goes out and makes a sale, comes back all excited and giddy and so forth about how they made the sale and so forth and so on. And then the production manager looks at this person and says, Beverly, we can't make that product. You sold something we right. can't make. That's another illustration. So the point is yeah. believing that you can hire the best, even if you can afford to, and expect them to do the job exactly the way you want is a fool's game. Instead, what you've got to do is you've got to hire, train and retain A players for sure. People that are the best that you can afford to hire. But mm -hmm. the key is that they've got to fit into your culture and all Super high performance companies have at least one component of their culture, which is vital for high performance and that's accountability. And so back to relay, yeah. accountability means that the baton does get passed properly and away you go. So when the baton yeah. is being passed properly, the person receiving it will take off at full speed before the handoff is made because they know the baton will get there. If they don't trust that the baton will get there, they'll stand there waiting and the person will show up and they'll collide with each other and say, oh my God, you actually did your job this time. Amazing. And then they pick up the baton and away <laughs> they go. And so yeah. if I look at a typical yeah. business, what I see is one, 
The boss is working her tail off far too hard. She's too involved. She's believed myth one. Number two, the company got a collection of KPIs, key performance indicators based on their industry, and they're trying to meet these standards, converting them into average company. And number three, I see companies that have a collection of people theoretically working hard, but getting very little done because they're all doing whatever they think is the right thing at the time. And instead they need to have a relay. So number one, the boss has got to get out of the way Hopefully, totally. Mm -hmm. Number two, you've got to have a mm -hmm. system of management that is emulating the highest performers that you can find who give you permission to emulate them. And number three, you've got to have a collection of A players that are performing with an accountability culture. So there's the three and there's the three solutions. We can almost end the episode right there because that was just amazing. Absolutely amazing, but I won't. Okay. <laughs> because... I want to come back and follow up just a little bit in there. So number one, love the track examples as a former relay runner myself, absolutely love the track examples are placed in States. And so yes, yep. ran relays at a high level, love it. And add a third one in there for you, if that's Certainly. okay. So in relays, there are three things that go wrong in the handoff. So three things that can happen in the handoff. One, I don't trust you. And so I wait for you. So either I'm going to stop, I'm waiting, and then there's a collision, like yeah. you said. Number two is, I don't know how fast you're moving. Right. And so I either take off too fast or take off too slow. Right. And so that also happens in business too. Yeah. In those handoffs sometimes, it's like, I'm going, but you're not catching up or you outran me. And then we end up in those communication gaps that cause major, major problems. Or the third one is we are a team and you use this word. And this is where I want to go next is with this word. We are a team that fits together. And so I know how fast you're coming in and how fast I need to go out. I know that on my third step, when this knee is raising on my third step and this hand goes back, the baton is going to be there. And I know it because we practiced it and we fit. Yeah, that's excellent. I love that. Yeah. So that was good. You should be a movie director. I could see the whole handoff taking place. Well. Get, we've probably done, this was years ago now, right? What, two, 3,000 handoffs in practice, just going. And it's funny because of the legs that we ran, the four by 100 and the four by 200, the guy who ran after me, we're still really good friends. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually my son's godfather. We still talk all the no, time. Excellent. Um, but let's talk about fit, yeah. right? Because that was the thing that he and I ended up with was, our chemistry worked because we fit and we became friends because we fit and we've stayed together for 30 odd years because we fit, right? And our friendship has worked. And this is where that analogy and that friendship, now we can parallel that back to business and building your team of people who fit. And we talk a lot about fit here on the show. So I'd love to get your take on identifying fit. Does it start with them? Does it start with me? Is it both? It is both. It is in fact both. And there's an obscure sport. 
to some people. Some people isn't because it's just a very few universities really do this, but it's rowing or crew. And mm -hmm. what's yep. interesting about crew particularly is that because in crew, unlike many other sports, each person has a very similar job, rowing, moving one oar. If they're on a person crew, then one of the eight. And yet the coaches are always moving people from stroke to seat two to seat five. They move the same women around in the same boat. They figured out who the best eight were and then they rearrange them. And why the reason they're doing that, changing seats, is because of fit. It's so vitally important. So to your point in business, one, we've got to get A players, which means definitionally mm -hmm. the best available for your job at your price, if you will, or your salary. That's an A player, somebody you yep. can afford. Now, because most business yep. owners can't afford somebody that Google can afford that would be potentially helpful. So we've got to be within our game, yep. if you will. But part two is we're going to make sure that we've got A players in each of our positions. Now, positions in a business would be things like sales and marketing and production and administration and finance and HR, all those positions. And then with each of those departments are individual jobs as well. And the fit in each of those is important as well mm -hmm. as if you will, it probably mattered because even though you said you've run with your buddy, with your child's godfather, godfather. excuse me, that yeah. you were the one handing off to him. Well, that probably yep. stayed that way. It didn't flip around where sometimes he's going to be handing off to you because that may not fit. You may have tried it that way and ultimately realized the best was you handing to this person. So that's the same in business is that sometimes you may have the right people, but moving them to a different position within your company is also, only frankly, something that's a good idea to yeah. do. Yeah. I think it was Marcus Buckingham in his book, A Good to Great, said that too. Get the right people on the bus and then put them in the right seats. Both. Two steps. Both. We've got to get the right people on the bus. So that leads me to be our last question okay. here on this. I run into this all the time. In hiring, you find someone who is the right person for the bus. They're an A player, but they're not an A player for the position that you were hiring right now. But you realize they are an A player. What do you do? Do you let them go? Or do you say, you know what? I wasn't hiring for your position. Let me bring you in and fix, figure two. this out. Agreed. <laughs> Every time and I've never yeah. regretted and, and you always want to have a sign out regardless that says hiring we're hiring you never want to say all positions filled because what can happen is along comes an a player that doesn't quite fit because you didn't have that job open hire that person anyway tend to one figure out what they can do to contribute and come to you in a day and say you know i think i could 
blank and tell you exactly what they can do. Mm -hmm. Number two, it has a tendency to, to kick the other people in the company in the ass and get them humping. Absolutely. There's nothing that's more motivating than a new A player on your team. Yeah. To get everybody out saying, oh, got to up the yeah, game. That's absolutely right. Bill, this was absolutely fantastic. Likewise, I enjoyed it um, immensely. But here's what I'd love for you to do now, though. Tell everybody, because we've talked about the three lies, and clearly anybody who's listening to us knows you've got a lot of knowledge, you've got a lot of experience, but you use that knowledge and the experience to help people. I do. So tell people who you are, what your business is, and who you guys serve. Bill Prater, I own several brands in, under a company umbrella. Very few people know the company until they get an invoice from me. They see the company name there. But it all revolves on two concepts. One, scalology, which is a methodology or framework of rapidly or dynamically scaling. Scaling is different than growing. For example, a tree can grow, but it reaches terminal height. In other words, if you look at a forest, there's not some one tree that's a thousand feet high. There's a limit to how much you can grow. Scaling is the forest, growing is the tree. So I help people, if you will, scale, scaleology. Then I have a system of management called Business Mastery System. My typical avatar is somebody that has a huge burning desire to scale their business, but has reached some sort of an impasse. And so what I do is I help them do two things. One is to basically magnify and multiply the amount of take-home pay they can take out of their business and feel okay with it. By feeling okay, I mean they'll realize they don't need to reinvest that and they'll take it home. And number two, right. the second thing I help people with is realize that they don't need to, in fact, shouldn't be involved in the day-to-day -day of their business, so then they can spend more quality time with their family and their spouse, etc. So two things, scaling while cutting the time involved in their business in half. And that's what I do. Now, we talked about three lies today, and I have a, a little fundamental basic training that basically takes Pareto, a lot of people heard Pareto, or the 80-20 principle, mm -hmm. it takes it to the third mm -hmm. level, and I'm able to teach people fairly quickly that there's probably one or two things that they really should do that are vital. And if they do those one or two things, they'll get half to two thirds done what they need to get done in a day. And typically those things might take a half an hour, an hour, and they've finished right. more than half their work. And they can get their hands on that by just going to getbillsgift.com and they'll get that training on focusing on the vital few and ignoring the trivial many. That's awesome. So Bill gave us a gift. Getbillsgift.com. Bill, thank you for that. And for you listening, go get that. I hope you understand the level of genius knowledge that was just imparted in, in talking about those three lies. Right? And Bill just gave all of that to us for free. Imagine now in his gift, what more he's going to give to you. So go to getbillsgift.com. Go there today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.
for doing this. My friend, it's been too many months since the last time we spoke. Let's not let it go that long again. I look forward to seeing you. Thank you for being you here. You are very welcome. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Two Outlaws today. I'm sure we shook you up a bit, and hopefully it'll help. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Bye-bye.